This episode is brought to you by Aethera Clothing. Aethera Clothing is a Sri Lankan-run custom clothing business creating amazing hand-painted pieces from shoes to jeans to jackets. To see his work or make a custom order, check out Aethera on Instagram at Aethera Clothing. That's E-D-U-R-A. Or go to www.aetheraclothing.com. And when you talk to him, tell him that your friends at Brown Men Won't Jump sent you. This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. We got round one underway, and here to talk to me about two of the more interesting series that are going on right now is my boy, Eric Forward from DC. What's good, man? What is goody? <laughs> I, have, I haven't been here for like, I, sw- I swear it's been like two weeks almost. Um, so the, the pod has felt your absence, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's it's good to be back. Uh, I'm excited about talking about some of you know the first round surprises, uh, the two series particularly we're going to talk about. So yeah, let's get into it. So normally, it would make sense since we've already you know just our last episode we had my lifelong friend Vivek on the pod. He's a big Celtics fan, and we talked about the Nets and Celtics. And you think that being that it's a three O series, the natural thing would be to, to focus on some other series. But to me. The fact that this Celtics team is up 3-0 on the Nets is the biggest story of the playoffs. Because coming into this series, if you had to say any series is going to go 7, I would have predicted this one. And it's not going that way at all. And I, I think we got to start with the, the big elephant in the room. Maybe the skinniest elephant in the room, Eric. <laughs> a slim reaper of sorts? <laughs> yeah, a snakish elephant of sorts. <laughs> we're talking about Kevin Durant, of course. This man has fucking disappeared. Please explain to me what has happened to Kevin Durant. I mean, (laughs) he's been the thinning man, just literally vanishing right before our eyes. Honestly, AC, like all jokes aside, I have no fucking clue what happened to Kevin Durant in this series. I'm trying to think of some parallel for a guy of Kevin Durant's ability to shrink in a first round series like this off the top of my head. I can't think of an example. Part of the reason I can't think of an example, because there are very few players in NBA history that are as offensively talented as Kevin Durant. I think a usual like, like nugget of wisdom in regards to him is you can't exactly stop him from scoring. He's going to at least get his like 25 to 30 points against just about anyone. Well, apparently that wisdom has been thrown out the window. He's legitimately struggling against the Celtics. And I've honestly, in all of his career, I've never seen one single team defend Kevin Durant quite like he's being defended right now. So it's not just Kevin Durant like disappearing. It's also the Celtics. They bodying him. I think bodying him is the operative phrase. They, for instance, the jump ball of game one, they have imposed a physicality 
on Kevin Durant that you don't see. And part of that, and I want to give the NBA a little bit of credit, we talked about earlier in the season that they allowed a little bit more rough play. And of course, as the season progressed, all those guys, the usual suspects, they started getting their free throws up again. And it seemed like the NBA was kind of moving away from that. But in the playoffs so far, they have allowed the more classical level of physical contact. And the Boston Celtics, they're athletic, they're switchable, they have multiple long and strong defenders, and they have been bumping this guy. It reminds me, Eric, of what Bill Belichick used to do to sort of a high-powered Rams offense, where he'd kind of bump off a guy like Marshall Falk, right? Well, you know, just, just scroll the timing a little bit here and there. And then enough of those things happen, and the guy starts questioning himself. And Kevin Durant right now, you know, I thought he would struggle to carry this team for four rounds because of what's expected on the defensive end. But I never thought that his offensive game would vanish just quite like it has. Yeah, I agree with you to an extent. So, Oswe and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago when we were trying to figure out our, like, seedings for teams most likely in the Eastern Conference to, like, get through to the NBA Finals. At the time, I put the Nets around my four or five team most likely in the East because... Honestly, after that James Harden trade with just Kevin and Kyrie, they seem to be somewhat of a very human team. Like the team we were looking at last year when they initially got Harden and when they were healthy and running on all cylinders, that team was frightening. The version of the team with KD and Kyrie, even last year to start off the season for the first half of the season, it was a good team. They ain't no damn world beaters. And let's be real, AC. Kyrie's background or resume in the playoffs, non-LeBron years, ain't shit. KD, other than that one season that OKC got to the finals to be dispatched in five games against the Miami Heat, outside of his Golden State years, where he was on a team, let's repeat, they won 73 games before he came to the team. So before... Maybe the the second greatest score or third greatest score in the world in history coming to the Golden State Warriors. This was already a team that was historically great. Otherwise, his playoff resume isn't nearly what the reputation. If you listen to people talk about him, what they perceive his his actual resume to be is not that. So I'm not super super surprised that Kevin Durant is struggling. I just didn't think he would struggle quite like this. Well, it's a good point you make, Eric, because you think about his Golden State years. There was one playoff run in which he was doubled a grand total of single-digit times in an entire four-round playoff run. And this is one of the most devastating scorers in NBA history, right? You just couldn't afford to send to Kevin Durant when he had that level of shooting and playmaking around him. So it's been a while. Obviously, last season, he had a good run. Uh, he fell short ultimately to Milwaukee. He had a very injured Nets team. But he hasn't really faced a really good defensive team, though, in a long time. Not since his days when he was in the, the Thunder. That could kind of really cue on him and, and face double teams and, and challenge him as a passer and make him make tougher shots and just, than just cooking a guy one-on-one. I think he's the greatest scorer since MJ from an overall skill perspective. And I think, you know, stats kind of back that up to some degree as well. But you're right to point out that this is a man that had some shaky playoff performances back in the day. It's kind of been like forgotten somehow. 
at that time, he wasn't criticized very much for whatever reason. Russell Westbrook was kind of the guy that would get all the ire, even in series like in 2016 against the Golden State Warriors, where Durant was one of the big reasons they lost that series, especially the last three games, you know, games five, six, and seven, that was there to be won, but he did not play well. And I remember this one year, Eric, and I'm sure you remember this as well, where he did have a sort of a suspect playoff performance. And there was an Oklahoma City paper that had the headline, Mr. Unreliable for him. And then that was met with so much criticism. The Thunder organization kind of contacted them. And then they kind of retracted this article. He's been Liter- liter- literally Sam Presti called himself to talk to the people at the paper. I remember this whole incident. So upset. Yeah, man. And, and it's actually interesting. I don't recall another superstar kind of getting by scot-free from criticism quite like this. Now, there are some players that get unfair amounts of criticism. I think Russell Westbrook has been one of them, certainly earlier in his career. I think LeBron James is another one of those guys. Those guys, I, I don't think it should be like that for any player in the NBA. But then there's like the usual like superstar that gets criticized when they fail. And somehow Kevin Durant, apart from the time he went to the Golden State Warriors, and that was still even people kind of defended that, but as a basketball player, he's always been applauded, never really been critiqued as maybe as much as he should have been in sometimes. And I, and I, I say this is a guy who really believes that he was the second best player of this generation. And it's not even close, in my opinion. And I think he's a top 10 all-time talent. I don't think he's a top 10 all-time resume, but he's a top 10 all-time talent in NBA history. So I have nothing but respect for the man. So I just want our fans to know, AC has a lot of respect for Kevin. But AC can't stand any superstar player in my time knowing him more than he can't stand Kevin Durant. This is so, true. so <laughs> you absolutely respect him, but I know you don't like him. I don't like but- him at all. Yeah, because I, it's for the very reason. I feel like he has this, he, he was set up as this anti-LeBron foil, right? Like, like he's the guy, you know, at the time when LeBron left in Miami, he's the guy, like the same day or the next day, he quietly re-signs Oklahoma City. And then there was all, the, the media was doing all this stuff where they were lionizing him to put down the other guy. Meanwhile, there's been plenty of evidence that he's not this sort of humble superstar that they made him out to be. If anything, he's a guy who, let's be honest, right now he could be out there on Reddit, on Twitter, <laughs> throwing some teammates under the bus on some random ass screen name. Because even when that came out, he didn't get anywhere near the amount of criticism. And to me, the biggest thing is, he ruined the NBA for three years by him going to the Warriors. I mean, that stretch of time was the worst the NBA has ever been. Oh, you, you think profile rant 34 DC isn't Kevin Durant in the flesh on Reddit <laughs> right now talking <laughs> shit about Kyrie Irving? I'm telling you, if you see it, it's him. But I want to say one thing about that, AC. I, and I'm going to give a little levity. So I always joke about when Steph Curry became Steph Curry in the league, they look at him as the lamb of God. And I, I would yeah. always, I would always make jokes about, uh, there's an old, like, it's not really a, a spiritual, but if you grow up in a black church, you know, this song now behold the lamb, the precious lamb of God, I would say, you know, the precious lamb of stuff, because I, I thought people like looked at stuff as just like, Oh, he's such a great dude. And he's such a great player. And they would lionize him. But even stuff, I've seen him take much more criticism when he fails, than Kevin Durant. I've never seen a person of Kevin Durant's caliber of player 
somehow skate through because he just happens to be in the league at the same time as the most polarizing player ever, where a lot of his fuck-ups were just like, eh, okay, but this other guy, let's talk about him. AC, Kevin Durant, through three games of this series, is averaging 7.6 turnovers a game. 7.6 turnovers. I didn't say assists. Yeah. Turnovers. And that's the thing. They're challenging him as a passer in a way that he was not challenged in Golden State. And I think he's become a better passer, to be very clear. But this is a guy who, you know, he had perfect spacing. He really had the perfect situation for him. He could have stayed there and won many championships, but he would never have been the most beloved guy in that city. And actually, by just about every statistical measure, he also wasn't the most important player to that team. You can look at plus minus numbers. You can look at wins and losses. That team suffered a lot more when Steph missed the game than when KD missed the game, right? Even though I think we all acknowledge that KD was the best player on that team. But he didn't want that. He wanted his own thing. And now he's got to face the burden that comes with having all the pressure of the world on you. But AC, see what this series is doing? Now we're starting to go back, look back at history and start questioning his time at go to state because of how poorly he's performing. So you just brought up all of these stats. You spoke about how he got like the greatest spacing ever. He wasn't able, you weren't able to double team him and concentrate on him on the defensive end. Well, AC, if all the advanced metrics say that Steph Curry was the better guy and we know they were more likely to suffer when Steph was off the floor than Kevin. And we know Kevin was getting spacing the way he got because Steph and Clay. At some point, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it ain't a ham. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. And now the other thing that has to come up here, Eric, because I still think this is the biggest story of the playoffs so far. Kevin Durant was widely considered either the best or second best player in the world. And I think more people in the media probably had him number one, even over Giannis. I think he's relinquished that throne if he ever even had it. And that's the question I wanted to ask you, Eric. Was he ever the best player in the world for any really meaningful stretch of time? I think the resounding answer for me is no. When LeBron was facing him in the NBA Finals, when Kevin was with Golden State, LeBron was the better player to me. I still will posit if you had put Kevin on that same 2018 team, they don't beat the Celtics in that seven-game Eastern Conference Final Series without Kyrie Irving on the floor. And Kyrie wasn't with the team at that point. He was on the Celtics. He was injured, but he was on the Celtics. So me knowing that and then me seeing him leave Golden State, a, a team that I was never able to gauge how great he truly was, because, again, it was a 73-win team before he came. So he goes to the Nets. LeBron wins the finals. KD's injured. KD comes back, and, and they get James Harden. They have Kyrie. And they were injured. But Giannis is the one who sat on the throne at the end of the season. Giannis is the one who closed out a NBA Finals series with a 50-point monster performance. Giannis had a better all-around season than him this year. And Giannis isn't getting bodied in the first round of the playoffs. So to me, it seems to be like in boxing, they talk about lineal championships where one boxer, he's dominant. And then 
the next thing you know, there's another generation of champion who takes the lineal titles from him. So LeBron held the lineal title for a long time, for about a decade. And LeBron yep. relinquished the lineal title last year. The best player in the world is Giannis. It ain't KD. It never been KD. Not just that, Eric. The two years before Giannis won his championship, he also won back-to-back MVPs and a defensive player of the year. And by the way, he's in the running for both of those awards year in and year out. And meanwhile, if we look back at Kevin Durant's career, he actually doesn't have as many All-NBA first teams as you'd think, which is acknowledgement that the league and the voters, season by season, thought that there were other forwards in the league who played better than them, at least in the regular season. So I don't know if he ever really had that title even though I still think he's one of the 10 greatest, like 10 most talented players, at least, that's ever walked into the NBA. AC, I, I know you remember this because you and I have been spoke, speaking of this on and off for about a year. We were trying to figure out, because I think like you, I have like Steph, Giannis, and KD all in some grouping historically with each other. You're the same way, basically, correct? Yeah, like I think we all, if we have to rank our greatest players ever, and, and that's a, a difficult exercise to do and, and how you rate them, whatever. But we're talking how great were they relative to their eras and then, you know, with some sort of a bias towards the more modern players, they'll, they'll be a little bit better. Using that, I think we both kind of have them in sort of that 14, 15, 16 range all time. But we all think that all three of them, if things go right, could even crack a top 10. Absolutely. Now, one of the things you and I were speaking about two weeks ago when the playoffs were like ramping up, if Giannis were to win another championship this year and win a finals MVP, you would have a Giannis who has at least two MVPs, a defensive player of the year, two NBA finals MVPs, probably by the age of what, 27? Like that's already basically like a top 10 resume. Yeah. And, and to me, that would clearly put him above KD. But you said something, AC, when I mentioned this, that I had to think about. I was like, this is a great-ass point. You said his resume, if you look at it, might already be better than KD's. Yeah. like I never, I never thought about that. <laughs> he has double MVPs. His finals MVP is more meaningful to me than the two that Durant won. I, listen, I'm not trying to say those are asterisk titles, but context matters. Right, It matters that he was playing on a, a team that effectively won 73 games without him. A team that by every statistical measure, even when he was as a member of that team, they were better when he didn't play than when he did. Right, So those things make me think that Durant winning those two finals MVPs doesn't mean as much as Giannis carrying a box team, even against an injured list of opponents like he did last year. It, it still meant something. But let's also forget that he is an elite defensive player. Kevin Durant is also a very good defensive player at this point in his career. Giannis is one of the greatest defensive players ever. He literally won the award. So, I mean, it's looking more and more like, like it's Giannis's throne. And, and then we had to start wondering, you know, like, I, I mean, this is, might be blasphemous, but where does Jason Tatum rank against Kevin Durant? I mean, Eric, you sent me this post about Jason Tatum's numbers and just bear with me for a second as I looked this up. So Jason Tatum has defended Kevin Durant this series for 27 minutes of matchup time, okay? In that... 27 minutes, Kevin Durant has scored 10 points on 13% field goal percentage, 0% on four three-point attempts, 10 turnovers, and on top of that, Tatum has blocked him twice, and yeah, he's committed two shooting fouls. So basically, he has locked Kevin Durant's ass up. I say that to bring up 
how fucking good is Jason Tatum? Well, I just want to add, guys, for some of us on our pod, I'm talking about Oswe, who likes to shit on the Celtics because he's, you know, he's a Sixers guy. I always knew this would happen with Jason Tatum, not the defense. I did not know this would happen at all. I always expected him to be one of the three or four best offensive players in the league, which he seems to be transitioning into that. But holy shit, who knew he was going to become some version of Kawhi Leonard playing defense back in 2015? This shit is outrageous. Like, did you see the last possession last night? Oh my God. Like, where he just bogarted the ball away from him. And it's just like, yo, when did you become this guy? It's incredible. And let's be honest, he has surrounded by elite defenders as well, which gives them versatility. They're athletic. Sometimes it really does feel like there are seven guys in, in Celtics jerseys out there. Like, I'm just like, where the ground they're covering is insane. But he's taken, especially in critical moments, the primary assignment. You know, even in game one, when Kevin Durant missed the shot before Jason Tatum hit the game winner, Jason Tatum really shadowed him well. And Kyrie was going to take that shot almost no matter what. And and the, and the Celtics did a good job corralling him. But but Tatum, kind of a step-for-step step with Durant when he caught the ball late and, and made it a very difficult shot without fouling, which is, you know, the biggest key there. And, and to me, he's combining his length and even strength now, we can say, with Real basketball smarts, like the way that he's using that stuff. I, like, I don't think he has sort of the natural defensive tools of like a Kawhi or like an MJ where he's these giant hands or anything like that. But what he does have, he's using and leveraging. He, you know, he rarely makes false steps. I always look at this when you watch a guy play defense man to man. Do they make false steps? Do they have to like overcorrect because they, they lunge a little bit too much in one direction or slightly off kilter? Tatum's balance is pretty remarkable. And that, that to me, that shows that he's a guy who's reading the game plan. He knows what he's supposed to do out there and he's executing at an extremely high level. You're absolutely right. I'm using hyperbole by even mentioning 2015 Kawhi, but let me tell you something. If a person who is offensively gifted as Jason Tatum is even a hobo version of that Kawhi on defense, that is a guy who is a great, great two-way player. That it's a guy that we have to start saying is a top five NBA player, and, and you know, honestly, like it's not crazy to think that he's in maybe the top two or three players. I mean, if you can do what he does offensively and now defensively, I mean, how many guys can you say that about in the NBA right now? Uh, offensively and defensively, Giannis, <laughs> like yeah, Giannis. <laughs> that's that's about it. And, and I'm, I'm KD, you know, to, yeah. to some degree. K- KD, like, if, KD, if he has enough help, it's a short list. Yeah, but if, if if Jason Tatum in his still in his early twenties is on any type of list with KD and Kawhi, I mean the future is an incredibly bright for him. So yeah, like he's making the proverbial leap, but he's not only making the leap. Also, Jalen Brown is making the leap. Also, Marcus Smart, who just was crowned the Defensive Player of the Year, is making a leap. And I want to transition this, AC, into thinking what can possibly be from this Celtics team. I do think this Celtics team, and we were talking about this in previous pods, like they've been the number one defensive team since December before that very like slow start 
to begin the season. And at this point, doing what they're doing to Kevin Durant, and I understand this Nets team isn't a great constructed team, but still doing this to Kevin Durant with, you know, with um, fasting Kyrie or Ramadan Kyrie, whatever you want to call him, this is something I can absolutely see this team winning a championship. And the thing about it, we always talk about young teams, AC, that they have to fail a little before they actually are contenders. Like the Grizzlies, for instance. We've spoken about them. This team, their core has already failed together. So the time might be now, man. Yeah, for a team that's so young, they're remarkably experienced in the playoffs. They have remarkable amount of time together. Because even the guys they traded for, like for instance, getting back Tice, getting back Horford, those guys have been in this system. They've gone through the battles with these guys, right? And I think when you talk about Boston's outlook going forward, I mean, we got to just talk about this team overall as a defensive team for a second. They are so spectacular because we talked about Tatum already. Marcus Smart, to be the first guard since Gary Payton to win defense player of the year, that's no joke, right? Like, you got to be damn fucking good at defense. And the crazy thing is, Eric, we had a little conversation about this earlier, earlier today. If Rob Williams doesn't go down earlier this season, he was a candidate for this award too. He was looking like Ben Wallace out there at, at times this season. And now they have him back. And then you talk about Jalen Brown, who maybe is still even a better defender than Jason Tatum, depending on what you want your defender to do. There's certain things that Jalen Brown can do a little bit better and certain things that Jason Tatum can do a little bit better. But you have him as well. And just smart personal, Al Horford, he's not going to beat you by making a mistake. He's going to be sound. He's going to do what he has to do, right? They just have a roster full of these guys. And honestly, like it's going to be a nightmare for teams to, to score against them going forward. Yeah, like if... If Giannis wasn't in the Eastern Conference and me having such respect for him at this moment in his career and thinking he's a world beater by himself, I would easily be saying, oh, yeah, this Celtics team, they're about to run roughshod through the East. But I think ultimately the matchup is going to be between those two teams. Whichever one of them wins ultimately will be, to me, I I definitely think, well, I'm, I might be going too far. I almost was going to say, I would have them as the favorite to win at this point. I'm going to go that far. Can I get a hot take alert, please? Hot take alert. So I am going to say that the Boston Celtics right now, it's been the case, by the way, for multiple months. They look like the best team in the NBA. I don't see another team that's this complete, that's this good at both ends, that's this well coached. Ime Udoka fantastic rookie season as an NBA head coach. I, I just think that the, the sky is the limit for them. Everything's going well. I think Milwaukee is the single hardest opponent for them from a matchup perspective just because of the Giannis problem. But if Milwaukee ends their series soon, and, and they may end theirs in five, we could have a series in round two that starts without Chris Middleton even being ready to play in the start of that series, if at all, in the series. He's got an MCL spray. You can't just will your way through an injury like that. And if they don't have Chris Milton, I mean, the Bucs are going to have a real uphill battle here against a team that's this deep, this versatile, this athletic. They're going to need every bit of score. They're going to need Milton, what he can do down the, the stretch of games to sort of be that Kobe to Giannis's Shaq. If they don't have that, and now it looks like the Celtics are whole with Rob Williams back, I don't see anyone in the East really putting much of a fight up against them. Facts. So, I don't know. I, I think very rarely is a first-round matchup so telling, but... This first round matchup between the Nets and Celtics 
has really illuminated the path going forward in the playoffs, at least to me. So it's a sight to behold. Now, we talked about the Celtics out of it, and you alluded briefly to Ben Simmons and to Kyrie Irving, two guys that I want to talk about for reasons that unfortunately seem to be outside of basketball here. Let's start with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving had this ridiculous excuse after game three that his team didn't have enough time to gel this season. Well, I thought that was really interesting, considering that he was the biggest reason that his team didn't have time to gel this season, because he opted to go a certain course and do what he wanted to do, get his extra rest or make his stance or whatever he wanted known. He shows up at the end of the season after the mandates lifted and they have like less than a month really to prep up for the playoffs. And Isaac complaining about his team not having time to gel. I mean, come on, man. But isn't that so much like Kyrie? Like the, the comment was so outrageous when he made it. Part of me was like, what player says some shit like that? The intelligent part of my brain immediately said, oh, yeah, that's a Kyrie comment. The person who literally is the reason for them not being able to jail. Yeah. Because of because he set out. Now, you can we're not even going to get into some argument about vaccine shit like it's neither here nor there. Kyrie, however you want to slice it, is the reason they that team does not have continuity. Right. And somehow He's going to be like, oh, this is an excuse. We didn't have continuity. What the fuck are you talking about, Kyrie? You're paid $40 million a year. You should have had them have continuity. You weren't injured, dude. And you know what? They have a really interesting decision this offseason. Because Kyrie is a free agent. He wants a long-term deal. I don't know, man. I don't know. would not feel comfortable giving a long-term deal to a guy who, first and foremost, can't stay healthy. Secondly, seems to willingly want to take paid time off during the NBA season. We saw that last year when he had multiple leaves of absences. We saw it this year, right? I I just would feel really uncomfortable. He's an all-world talent. He's absolutely box office. He's he's certainly up there in terms of just the most electrifying players to watch in the league when he's got it going. But, I mean, it's a lot to take a risk on if you're going to give this guy a long-term deal. I will give him... $50 $50 million one-year contracts for the rest of his career. There is, no <laughs> ch- there is no chance in hell I'm going to roll the dice on giving Kyrie Irving a supermax. Oh, my no, God. No, no fucking way. And you know what? Some dumb team's going to do it when he opt out. Of course and he's going to do it if, he, if, if the Nets don't want him. Because he's that talented. He's literally one of the most talented guys who has ever graced an NBA court. Yeah. He's, he's the greatest ball handler ever. The greatest. That, that guy is going to get a long-term contract even if he cannot be trusted. Someone will do it, but may God have mercy on their soul. And speaking of guys who have flagrantly violated the basic ethos, the basic expectations of an NBA player, we talk about Kyrie wanting, you know, a little leave of absence in the season. How about Ben Simmons, who has not played an entire season out of his own volition, filed a grievance to collect $20 million somehow for this, gets his way forced out of Philadelphia because, God forbid, the fans boo him after he completely shit the bed, gets to Brooklyn, doesn't play a game there, start of the playoffs, magically there's these rumors, there's these reports Oh, Ben Simmons, he's coming back. 
you got to watch out Ben Simmons. He'll change everything, which leads to this whole media cycle of people talking about, oh, how could Ben Simmons guard Tatum, all this other stuff. Meanwhile, you and I, Eric, from the moment we heard this, we were like, this man is not going to play in a playoff series against this caliber opponent. So hilariously, you know, he's supposedly ready for game four. And the Nets officials expect him to play. They actually bought into his hype, apparently. Only to learn that right before game four, he woke up with back soreness. Oh, what do you know? Ben Simmons not playing for game four. I mean, you can't even make this shit up, bro. We need to start calling that man Rockefeller because he's a robber baron at this point. (laughs) Like, bro, you and I have been like the whole time. Come on, guys. Like, at what point do you all realize he doesn't want to play? But he has such, like, titillating skills. And and he, on paper, he fits perfectly with these two fantastic shooters. He's an incredible passer. He's an all-world defender. He doesn't really have to step outside of his comfort zone to play with them. But see, here's the rub. He doesn't want to play. He doesn't actually want to play. He just wants your money. And it's obvious at this point. So the Nets, like the Sixers before, they buy into this, oh, I just need a little time to rehab myself, get myself going. And then suddenly it was like, he might have a herniated disc. And then, okay, he needs a little more time. And then it's like, okay, he's he's still working himself back up to getting some type of like conditioning. And then from conditioning, it goes to game one. Oh, the conditioning's still working on then he might be back for game three. Game three goes, they go down 3-0. Game four, he's definitely coming back. The day before, suddenly, oh, it's the back. You know why you have a backache? Because you've been sitting on your ass for a whole fucking year as a professional (laughs) athlete, not doing anything. Obviously, you have a backache. You didn't want to practice in Philadelphia. You barely practice here. Like, duh, you're not in a physical condition that you're usually in when you're actually practicing and playing. This was the most obvious end to this saga of Ben Simmons robbing teams that I'm like, dog, how didn't these front office people see this as it was developing? They still thought, oh, he at some point will want to play. He doesn't want to play, man. Bro, it's pretty simple. He's like that hot girl who completely wrecks the life of another guy. And you know this. You know this. But you're like, you know what? She's hot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot my shot. And it works out. She comes to you. And you're like, wow, this is great. And the next thing you know, like, she's stealing a little bit of your money. She's, you know, she's sleeping <laughs> with the neighbor. She's, she's, you know, down the street. And all your, she's just like out and about. And you keep making excuses for her because you still believe. You know, you believe in the talent. AC, <laughs> you know what, what they say about... Um... They, they call it, like, pretty privilege for women. Yep. But, see, basketball players, of course, we're, we're guys. It's not a pretty privilege thing. It's, it's a talent a, privilege. It's a talent privilege. There you go. So, the talent is like the pretty woman. And Ben Simmons, he's a smoking hot lady who has a little bit of mental issues. She's a little crazy. But you can fix her. And you always will think you can fix her. You think you can, at least. You can never fix her. You can never fix him. And what's really funny to me is the other man who willingly got into bed with two such ladies is Kevin Durant, right? He left Golden State with the ultimate team players like Steph and Clay and Draymond. 
and decided that what he wanted was first Kyrie Irving, who basically fits the exact description we talked about with Ben Simmons, you know, to a T. And then James Harden, another guy who's a complete loose cannon. Then that doesn't work out. He's gone. And in comes Ben Simmons. Now you're Kevin Durant and you're playing with maybe the two biggest head cases in the NBA at the same time. I mean, where's the outcome of this? Like, where does this team go? I know that they fit on paper. Will it ever materialize in actual basketball? So Kevin Durant with Steph Curry had a wife who was attractive, great job, educated. She listens to you. She she fits you to a T as far as personality and goals. But Kevin Durant likes his women on the wild side. <laughs> and now we're here. Kevin Durant, who's in his mid-30s, he's not going into his prime. And I think people forget this. Kevin is at some point going to be going out of his prime. There might not be many years where he's contending going forward. We already know he has the injury bug of sorts. Like every year he's going to miss 20 games at this point, at least. He's blown so, a king's tendon. Let's not forget that. So look, he's had plantar fasciitis. He, he's blown an Achilles tendon. He's getting older. Except usually when guys get older, they get wiser. It seems like Kevin is working in reverse. So, hey, more power to him. I love Kevin, but as a LeBron guy, I don't mind him sabotaging his own legacy. So LeBron, who's also doing it, doesn't look as bad. <laughs> it's funny because I was going to say, you beat me to the punt. I was going to say that another guy who's uh, just like LeBron at the end of his career has gotten less wise, it seems like, with the whole Westbrook thing. But... That's enough on the Nets and Celtics. We've spent so much time on a series that's basically over. I want to go to a series that at the time of recording this, we're recording this on a Sunday, is actually tied 2-2. And that's the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. And there's a lot of juicy storylines here. And I'll start with a little disclaimer. Where I play ball like to this day, and most of my life, when I, when I go to play basketball, I play at a school called St. Joe's. They have a bunch of public courts outside. Anyone can come there. St. Joe's is where Carl Towns went to school, right? So he's like from where I'm from. And as a result, I have a real soft spot for him. And I know you and us, we especially, you guys don't believe in cats so much. You call him P-Cat. You know, you call him Josie and the Pussycat. You know, whatever the hell you want to call this guy. Josie and the Pussycat. He's got talent. But my God, Eric. I do not know what to make of Carl Anthony Towns. So I'm going to give the floor to you. Based on the four games you saw, the first game, he's amazing. Games two and three, he barely was on the court, committing the dumbest fucking fouls I've ever seen. And game four, he was amazing. What do you make of Carl Towns? Same thing I've always made of him. He's uh, experimenting bipolarism. <laughs> from, from, from game to game, he could be... <laughs> a completely different guy like he's always working in binaries and of course i know like what i'm saying is not <laughs> like actually medically sensitive or medically correct but like he's a guy that i never know what to actually get from him there are times where he seems like the most skilled big man i've ever seen he can do so much offensively He's definitely the greatest shooting center I've ever seen. He also can score down low when he wants to. A myriad of finesse post moves. 
But then there are other times where you're asking for him to at least not be a matador on defense. And he just gets like run over by whether it's bigs or guys driving who are slashers or just being defensively in the wrong place. And AC, you were talking about him the other day in our chat being a plotter. And you thought that was part of the reason to explain a lot of these shitty fouls he picks up. And I think that was spot on because he always seems as if on rotations, he's two steps behind. I've never not seen him be two steps behind. So, I mean, you're getting a guy who's an elite offensive big, I I guess, and when he's not being depended on to just bully down low because he's not a bully. But you're also getting a guy who on a defensive end, you're going to get smoked. And honestly, as the game becomes more skilled, your center defensively needs to be able to do more than they needed to do 30 years ago. And it seems like to me, he's just not cut out for that. I told you earlier, if I were the Timberwolves moving forward, I would think about doing some type of like twin towers arrangement where you put him next to another big who's just primarily defensive focus to take some of the burden off of Carl Anthony Towns because he ain't going to cut it. And like, we're like seven years in at this point. If he ain't become some type of defensive anchor, he ain't never going to be that. That ain't happening. See, the problem with Carl Towns, as far as I see it is, for all his offensive gifts, forget being a defensive anchor. The question is, is, is he even playable defensively, especially in playoff basketball? So the Minnesota Timberwolves, are one of the teams that are the most aggressive when it comes to pick and roll coverage. They have to trap a lot. They have to hard hedge and recover a lot. And that's really because Carl Towns absolutely sucks at defending the rim in drop coverages, and he's way too slow to switch. So you have to play these hyper-aggressive schemes where you're putting two on the ball, which works against bad teams during the regular season, but against better teams where you know teams have time to scout that, They've time to put in counters to that. They're better passers. They have better shooters. You can't win four rounds playing like that, right? So the fundamental problem that he has is for all he gives you on offense, he's taking as much off the table on defense. And I'll add, a team can have a poor defender and get away with it to some degree if it's a guard. And even then, it hurts, right? Like you see how Trey Young's defensive problems hurt the Hawks. You see that. but. When your center sucks at defense, it just really, really, really limits you. It actually limits your entire scheme. I love the idea of what you said of pairing him with the, with the real, more classic defensive center. Though I still think they would still pick on him either way. You know, like, I, I don't know anymore if you can really hide a big man who can't play defense. But I think that would help at least a little bit. I think beyond those things, though, he's also got another problem, Eric. His game awareness is horrible. This man will have four fouls and get his fifth foul going for an offensive rebound over the back. Like, like literally throwing guy out of the way and hoping no one sees it and then complaining to the referee. And then there's the attitude problem, Eric. This is a guy who, in his post-Game 3 press conference, probably had one of the most laughable press conferences I've ever seen in my entire life. He could not make eye contact with the camera. He was telling guys, next question. I'm sorry. When did you get that sort of authority in the NBA? to be a guy who can next question a legitimate 
question about how you played in a basketball game. What's your status to do that? Shit, AC. That shit even looked bad if LeBron or, or KD's doing that shit. Let yeah. alone Cat. Like, if LeBron or KD do that or stuff, you and I go and talk shit about it. Like, you being cantankerous and, and all types of shit. Like, Cat doing it. Like, nah, Cat. You don't got the clout for that, B. And, and to Cat's credit, he bounces back. He was fantastic in game four. But then, like, in his post-game interview of that, he talks about how, you know, he had to let the rage out of him. Like, he's just such a lame <laughs> kind of guy. Like, it's everything he says is so eye-rolly. It's a lot of fake tough guyness. One of my favorite things about game three was when he said, we in Minnesota now, and then immediately proceeded to, like, his team didn't score another point, and his opponent ended up going on a 20-plus point run for the second time in that game. So... That's cat for you in a nutshell. And you saw what Jaw put after that, after they won a game. Jaw got on Twitter and said, we in Minnesota now. Oh, yeah. That was one of the great burns. Yeah, so it's funny. Like, we've kind of made the joke for now going on two years, basically, about, you know, the P-Cat, the Josie, the Pussycats, and him being just, like, cotton soft. So he got this irritant, Patrick Beverly, on the team, who's known as, like, an irritant tough guy always you know ready to squabble a little bit and he got anthony edwards and i don't like the talking cliches about alphas and betas because a i think it's silly because scientifically there's no such thing as alpha and betas with wolves where people have gotten this silly thing about but if i had to use those type of cliches alphas and betas and and guys who are who carry themselves like leaders anthony edwards who's on this team with him, I can't help but think Cat, who was drafted number one as well, he has this younger guy who legitimately, I will follow him into a ditch. <laughs> like, if, if it was a battle and Anthony Edwards is the one leading it, call him Henry V. I'm getting on a horse, we're going to war. <laughs> so he has these two guys who, like, by reputation and how they carry themselves as swagger, and it's tough, and it's always ready to go to war, he's trying to keep up with them. And it's just laughable because that ain't you. Yep. It ain't you at all. Actually, you're better at doing this Tim Duncan thing where you whine about calls, but you're looking spaced out. The difference is Tim Duncan is one of the 10 greatest players ever who was a great defender and a great offensive talent. You ain't that. (laughs) But you should be in some mode of that. I don't know if you will ever even get near that, but the talent is there. Ultimately, AC, and you said this earlier, I think this team is going to run through Anthony Edwards. I think we saw this in a playing game, and we're also seeing this with, you know, Cat being up and down in the series. The Minnesota Timberwolves going forward, they will only go as far as Edwards takes them. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Yeah, and they have a very interesting decision on Cat in two years. I mean, they're going to have that classic franchise decision of do we reward a guy that we drafted that's homegrown, that stayed, and on their late 20s at that point, with a Supermax, or do we just punt on this? And I think basically Cat has two years to prove himself because make no mistake, Anthony Edwards is for real. Anthony Edwards projects, when I look at him some nights, he looks like he could be one of the greatest shooting guards that ever played in this league. I'm talking up there with the likes of 
MJ, Kobe, like I'm, I mean, he's that kind of a talent, right? Like he's that good at this young of an age. Statistically, what he's done in his sophomore season is up there with some of the great players that ever played in the history of the NBA. He's got that talent in him. And as you said, he's got this like lack of fearlessness, the reverse cat in so many ways. So there is a world where cat becomes decent enough defensively, hopefully, or they pair him with someone that makes it work. And now cat's a fantastic second option for someone like, Edwards, because he's such a great shooter, he's actually statistically the greatest three-point shooter of any big man ever. So that's a great guy to pair with the guy who's primarily a slasher in Anthony Edwards. But if he's unplayable in playoff series, he's going to have to go. Or they're going to make a big mistake in keeping him. So he's got like this two-year trial period to see how things work out. And, and for his sake, as a guy who roots for him, I, I hope he comes through. Look, Anthony Edwards is like 20 right now. He was like 19 last year. He's like 20 now. He's young. If Carl Anthony Towns, you say he got two years. If he ain't showing me something by the time Anthony Edwards is 22, where I think by then he's about to be a first team or at the very least second team all NBA player, like, yeah, Cat got to go. You got to flip him for something because I think you can get this show on the road running with Anthony Edwards. By the time he in his mid-20s. Like, I believe in that kid that much. And I'm saying this as a guy, AC. Hearing him talk pre-draft, I was a little afraid because I thought, and I was being silly, he didn't like basketball that much because he just, he's not one of those guys who's going to be cliched and be like, oh, everything I do is basketball and I have no life outside of this. So I'm so used to basketball and athletes, period, talking in cliches. I didn't realize he was just being real. Yeah, I have other interests. But when I step on this court, I try to kill. And that's what he is. And I just didn't see it. But now that I know that's what he is, yeah, Kat, you're auditioning every night right now. One of the fascinating things about this series, Eric, is although the Grizzlies are the two seed, you could make a real argument that the Wolves have better top-end talent. I think between Edwards, Cat, and D'Lo, they maybe have three of the four best players in the series, at least three of the five best players in the series. And, and, and D'Lo and Cat have their flaws, and Edwards is inexperienced, but they have talent, right? What Memphis has is tons of depth. They go 15 deep. I just don't know how much that matters in the playoffs. If we're being really honest about this series, the Wolves should be up 3-1 if they didn't completely shit the bed in that game three twice when they had two 20-point leads that they blew, including a 26-point lead, the third largest lead ever blown in a playoff game. So they could have been up 3-1. Before this whole series started, I had uh, my friend Raul come on for a betting pod, and we both like picking the Minnesota Timberwolves here because they're actually not that much less experienced than the Grizzlies. They're both young teams and they just have better top end talent, which I think when rotations shorten matters a little bit. Well, yeah. So this is the thing because I think so poorly of cat at times, I don't think I'm quite awesome, but I, I shit on them too. I thought probably in six, the Grizzlies would be able to run away with this, but now I'm actually thinking this series might go down to seven. Yeah. Even though, again, I do think, like you said, they should be up 3-1. I expected the Grizzlies, though they were the second seed in the West behind the Suns, I expected them to 
struggle a little bit because, again, they're actually a, a fairly young team. But like you said, they're pretty much, as far as like age and experience, pretty evenly matched. And we do know teams in the playoffs, and we always talk about this, AC, people will say, oh, you know, this team is really deep. And that's a, a selling point for them going into the playoffs. You don't need a super, super deep team that go 15 deep. You need you need eight guys, nine guys who can crush it. That's how you actually win. And you need two superstars. And that's how you win. So, yeah, this, this Grizzlies team, they're not there yet. I expect them in two or three years to be world beaters. Like, if Jaw doesn't get injured, I still... I'm always afraid because of his playing style. Um, of course, we we saw Derrick Rose, and I, I I just can't help but mentally bring up Derrick Rose because they seem to be similar guys. I, I think Jaw's a little better personally. But that being said, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised this series is so tight. I didn't think the Grizzlies were just going to run away with it. What's kind of interesting is the Wolves, who are a bad defensive team, and we, we talked about the problems that Cat presents them and sort of the low ceiling they have defensively because of his scheme limitations, they've done a really good job against John Morant. He's shooting only 40% from the field during the series. In his two games that he had on the road, games three and four, he shot 29% from the field and, and, and he was turning the ball over. And one of the things they're doing that's kind of interesting is they're using this sort of wall strategy against them. We've seen this before when teams have, have done this to a guy like Giannis earlier in his career where you could wall him off a bit. And they're kind of just bracketing him, trying to take the ball out of his hands. And it's working. And the other Grizzlies aren't stepping up enough to make the Wolves pay for that strategy. And I think this is going to be a good test of John Moran, a guy that we both really like. I think maybe the most exciting player in the NBA to watch when he's got it going. He's got to show that he's got more in his game, that he can't just be stopped this easily, where a team can just throw everything at him and then just take him out of a game. They're not going to win this series if John Moran is shooting even you know 40% going forward. They're going to need some big jaw games, which he's capable of. We all know that he's capable of that. What's interesting is in the regular season, he struggled against this particular team. It was actually the worst he did, shooting only 33% against the Wolves, then against any team in the NBA. And I, I can't quite understand why, because they don't even have a good shot blocker at the rim to stop him. They have Cat, who we know can't do without, you know, getting in foul trouble. So I'm not really sure what's happening here, but it, it, it does seem like whatever strategy they're employing is working against Ja. I mean, some of the bodies they throw at him on a perimeter, they're kind of lone as, as far as like Anthony Edwards, he's lone. So, you know, he's playing the basically the three right now for the Timberwolves, even though I think he's a little out of position at the moment. Beverly's an irritant, so they throw him at him. I mean, D'Lo's not a, a great defender at all. He's just a body, but I, I think you are right. He's actually underachieving against this team for what they are defensively. They have some bodies, and, and it seems to be getting to him, which I'm not exactly sure why, because this year he seems to be able to, like, he's one of those scores. like, there, there are one-level scores and there are multi-level scores. He's a multi-level scorer, so if he can just get by one guy... You're pretty much fucked, usually, but for whatever yeah. reason against this team, that's not the case. I'm a little surprised at how poorly he's shooting. Not that he's a, at this point in his career, he's not hyper efficient, but for what this team is defensively, 
he's underachieving a little bit, but sometimes with the younger guys, you underachieve. So then Eric, based on what you've seen so far after four games, if you had to predict, how do you see this series ending? Who's going to win? How many games? I'm going to take the Timberwolves in seven. So you believe in PCAT? That's what you're telling me. I do not believe in PCAT. I believe in Anthony Edwards. I think the Grizzlies are a better basketball team, but for whatever reason, the Wolves seem to have their number. They should be up 3-1. They have better top-end talent. They have a number of guys who can go off on a given game. And I just think that as much as I don't want to just be a complete homer, I'm rooting for Cat and <laughs> just hoping that he comes through so I can have a pod where I give you and us your, your comeuppance for hating on this poor man. Wait, how are you going to give me comeuppance <laughs> and I'm agreeing with you? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You're a hater. <laughs> no, I, but I, I really would like to see him succeed. So mostly because of that, than any other basketball thing, I'm also going to go with Wolves in seven. Though I got to say, winning another game in Memphis, which is going to be completely raucous for games five and, and game seven, will be really difficult. It seems like every time they play whoop that trick, Cat <laughs> stars performing poorly. So I don't know. What are you implying there, Eric? I'm saying someone might be a trick. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's a good time to end this pod. So for all you guys listening out there, I hope you enjoyed. Feel free to reach out to us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com if you thought that we were too harsh on Cat or if you think that we're overlooking John, you think he can make a comeback, let us know. What do you think? You can follow us on social media. And until next time, guys, I hope you do well and I hope you guys enjoy what's staging up to be an incredible first round of the NBA playoffs. Peace out. Deuces! Josie and the Pussycat!